This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. WVEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation, plus MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Jails and prisons are not known to be the safest of places. In recent studies, every incarcerated person surveyed and three out of four correctional officers reported having seen someone killed or seriously harmed. A new publication from Chicago Beyond titled, Do I Have a Right to Feel Safe?, creates a different vision for what safety can look like for incarcerated people, their families, and correction staff. It's one that's not built on control, instead fostering conditions for everyone impacted to be, quote, safe and whole. Nika Jones-Tapia, Managing Director of Justice Initiatives at Chicago Beyond and former warden at Cook County Jail, wrote this publication, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show, Nika. Thank you for having me. Give us a sense of the violence that occurs in prison and the toll that it takes on people who are incarcerated and on the correction staff. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, the trauma that is experienced within correctional institutions isn't limited to violence. It's also in the very fabric of policies and procedures that jails and prisons often have. But when we look uh, specifically at violence, um, the the prevalence rates of uh, PTSD, for example, for men who are incarcerated can be close to 60%. Compare that to the general public where we see rates of PTSD in men around three to 6%. Almost all correctional staff who work in these systems have been directly or indirectly exposed to trauma. And we found that in one state correctional system, more than 70% of the officers had seen someone seriously hurt or killed on the job. Rates for PTSD among correctional officers are higher than 30%. Rates for depression among correctional officers are more than 30%. And then when we look at the impact, let's let's compare the suicide rates for these two groups of people with the general population. People incarcerated in jails die at a suicide rate that is more than three and a half times the national average. Correctional staff die by suicide at a rate that's more than two and a half times the national average. So we know that the impact of these systems is not just one that we uh, often see on television programs. It has lasting impact to the people who work in them and the people confined within them and that impact permeates through correctional walls so that we're all impacted. Mm -hmm. Well, as I mentioned in the publication, Nika, you talk about holistic safety. What does that mean? 
holistic safety is is really our vision for everyone to be well and to be and feel protected and whole. And it's not just about the safety of one community. We oftentimes hear um, these tough on crime antics. And what that says is that we only care about the safety of one community. Holistic safety is about the, the safety of all communities and it's not safety in the sense of control and punishment but it's really safety that's rooted in core values like health connectedness can a person make decisions for themselves building trust amongst each other and how do we respect and invest in the shared humanity that we all have why is it necessary to to rethink control control actually makes us less safe what what we see when we try to put more and more controls on a person is that a person will fight back against that. And that has been the premise of this system of punishment that we have. Jails and prisons if, in their very fabric um, are violent institutions and violence begets violence and, and control is at the core of that. And so when we begin to look at the root causes of um, why people are committing crime, when we begin to um, instill greater resources and supports in communities inside and outside of the correctional walls, only then will we begin to experience true safety. Let's bring some other voices into this conversation. Ronald Simpson Bay is the vice president of Just Leadership USA. That's an organization that amplifies the voices of people who are formerly incarcerated. Hi, Ronald. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Andy Potter is a retired corrections officer and founder of One Voice United. That's an organization that's working to add the voices of corrections officers to conversations about corrections institutions. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hello. Thanks, Sasha, for inviting me. Ronald, what would holistic safety have looked like for you while you were incarcerated? Uh, Thank you for the great question. Thank you. Uh, For me, by definition, holistic safety is restorative justice because it seeks to heal the harms on both sides of the equation. As uh, Nika pointed out a few minutes ago, that under the current system of control, only one side of the equation is ever considered in, you know, controlling the healing but if you want to really have true safety in our communities, you're going to have to go at it at a more holistic uh, means. And I've used restorative justice. I would say for far too long, our approach to punishment and accountability has been lacking and ineffective because they totally uh, lack any attempt at holistic approaches. So I think we need to rethink the processes we use to promote healing, accountability, and to produce positive outcomes for all impacted parties connected to corrections. And Ronald, you've talked about your experience and you've, you've mentioned that every one of your movements while you were incarcerated was, was being controlled. What was the toll of that? Oh, man, you, I mean, the, the toll, I, I'm still dealing with the toll of that because imagine everything in your life being micromanaged to the minute, to the second, the time you get up in the morning, the time you go to bed at night, the time you can go eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, the time you can get a shower, even your sunlight in some cases in prison is, is regulated because they can they can close the shutters and blinds. You don't even get daylight inside. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how are you still dealing with that now? Like you are no longer behind bars. So, so tell me what that looks like now. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't like, I mean, I'm, I'm not comfortable in crowds, even though I'm in front of crowds all the time. I don't like crowds. Mm-hmm. I don't like people standing behind me. It's just all these psychological things that go on. 
Andy, in your view, are corrections officers safe while they're at work? No. No. Why not? I, look, I've had, well, I've, you know, I've been in, in and around the correctional system for 30 years, three decades. Uh, you know, we see violence um, and we're uh, put in a position where we have to step in and try to maintain control and safety. Uh, and the odds are stacked against us because we're so short staffed. And it doesn't create a safe place for those who work there or those who live there. And we're trained to maintain control, right, for safety, instead of being trained to have an approach to gain cooperation. The training itself is outdated, and it needs to be updated for what's expected out of the modern-day correctional officer or, or staff member mm -hmm. that works inside of corrections. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't feel safe. I've never felt safe, and others don't feel safe as well. What toll did being a corrections officer take on, on your mental health? Um, I would say the system, the way it's currently designed, rips the vulnerability right out of you. And it's a constant subconscious tapping um, of your soul in some ways. Very hard to explain for someone who hasn't been in these situations, working in or living inside of an institution. Um, you get reminded by your family and friends, as Ronald said, um, when I sit in a movie theater or um, in a crowded restaurant, my anxiety goes up, my suspicion goes up, I sit with my back against a wall. And it's been years since I've worked inside of the correctional facilities, and I still carry that to this day. Hmm. Andy, you know, some people listening might might think that the uh, the day to day experience of corrections officers is different from the experiences of those who are incarcerated. But you say there are some very common shared negative experiences inside. Can you explain? What's it like? Yeah, I like we're there 8, 16, and in some cases 24 hours um, with very little rest in between. The conditions for those that are incarcerated are, are very similar, if not a, the same conditions in which we work in. Imagine any other place in America where it's 95 degrees outside and it's 115 degrees inside of those um, facilities because there's not air conditioning. People have this image of what this is like and the conditions that you work in. The reality is um, a lot of the stress and uh, the trauma that comes from working in there mm -hmm. isn't, isn't, direct fear or threat or violence from those who are incarcerated. It's the system and the way it's designed and the conditions that people are in. We wouldn't put up with that anywhere else in America. My next question is for both Ronald and Andy. Uh, I saw that your photos appear juxtaposed next to each other uh, on the front page of this publication. 
on the next page are your experiences. They're actually written side by side. Uh, you, Andy, of course, as a corrections officer in Michigan, and you, Ronald, uh, as having been incarcerated in Michigan. Really, really powerful stuff, even listening to you in this moment. But I have to ask, what's it like working together and and what you now have had to overcome in order to see your interests as aligned? You first, Ronald. Okay, thank you. Um, I like and to, to piggyback off what Andy was just saying about what it's like for officers to work inside a correction facility. We as we as incarcerated people, we used to always tell the officers they were they were serving life sentences on the installment plan. They would come in, like you said, eight to twenty hours a day, then go home. But they would come back to the exact same conditions and have to suffer a lot of the same injustices that the incarcerated people suffer. So Andy was definitely correct in that. It's it's a traumatic experience for even for corrections officers, but. Me as being formerly incarcerated and as being a corrections official, the very foundation of our relationship is built on the inherently adversarial nature of corrections. You know, first we had to overcome the dynamic, you know, to trust each other enough to work together. Then we had to overcome the dynamic of our individual constituency to trust us that we are working in the best interest of, you know, our own constituents. And so it's a, it's a high wire act. I, I, I uh, yeah compared to being a high wire act to actually balancing all these different interests and these different uh, influences. What about you, Andy? What's it like working with, with Ronald? Um, I, everything Ronald said was completely on mark. It's it, people don't understand. There's a risk. Um, there's a risk. You know, we're trained. Corrections officers are trained to, to keep distance. We have our humanity taken from us as well that allows us right to do the job so there's a huge us versus them built into this system that has to be overcome and thought through and and balanced i've seen a lot of pain on both sides and a lot of distrust on both sides Mm -hmm. and it's designed to do that through years of conditioning and training so he's he's exactly right so so was it was it difficult for me to to get to know Ronald and trust him. It it wasn't difficult once I started to get to know him and started to talk about who we were as people. Uh, It started to become easier. But this thing that Ronald talked about us having to move past is is really deep trauma inflicted through different kinds of conditioning, perhaps. But it was difficult, but but we've gotten through that. Once you stripped away the labels then, right? I'm not yeah. a. I'm not just yeah. a corrections officer. You're not just someone who was formerly incarcerated. We went through a lot of the same things, and and we have a common goal. Yeah, you know, someone once said to me, "Do you really want to be defined by your darkest moment, by your lowest part of your life? Do you want to be defined like that?" No, no, I think not. I don't think most of us do. So I think there has to be room to bring that humanity back. And, and that has to be first and foremost. Holistic safety does that. It, it's a yeah. key ingredient. If you're going to discuss real total system reform, holistic safety has to be part of that, or it won't happen. We'll see the pendulum swing like we have for, for many decades. That was Andy Potter, founder of One Voice United, and Ronald Simpson Bay, who's vice president of Just Leadership USA. They'll be on a panel on May 24th that's going to launch this publication and initiative. Thank you both for making time to join us today.
Anika Jones Tapia from Chicago Beyond, who's author of Do I Have a Right to Feel Safe, is still with us. So, Nika, the title of this publication, it's it's very provocative. Um, why start with the question? Like, is it a question that you, you let yourself ask, you know, while you were working as a warden at, at Cook County Jail? Uh, I would say that, you know, really the question for me started um, from a young age. Uh, as a young child, I experienced the carceral system and visiting my father, who was incarcerated, and I know that he didn't feel safe. I, as a little girl visiting my father, did not feel safe. And it was when I started to work in corrections that I then saw how staff didn't feel safe. And, uh, it, you know, despite the many reforms that jails and prisons may implement, until we shift the way that we view jails and prisons and the people within them, staff and people incarcerated, none of us feel safe and none of us are safe. And so that's why we asked the question. You've uh, you've written this visionary publication to, to share with correctional administrators across the country, and, and you've done an exciting pilot project that's centered on visitation specifically. Why visitation? Why is that a holistic safety issue? Well, we we started with visitation because that was one area that we found impacted multiple groups that are impacted by incarceration, staff, people incarcerated, family members, the larger community. And most jails across this country don't allow for um, physical contact between people incarcerated and their loved ones. And we know the ramifications of um, having a family member or a loved one who is incarcerated. Yeah. And those negative ramifications are only multiplied when the pe- with people who love them aren't able to touch. You know, we, we think about um, the levels of trauma that is uh, a, an adverse childhood experience to have a, a parent who is incarcerated. So to mitigate those negative outcomes, we wanted to change the way families were able to engage with their incarcerated loved ones. We worked with the Cook County Sheriff's Office, um, who was uh, willing to, to, to rethink what mm-hmm. family engagement would look like. And um, all of their staff were trained in trauma-informed practices. And we um, piloted visitation that minimized the carceral elements of um, systems and to really think about how visitation can be more child-friendly and family-centered. Yeah, because you you said when you were visiting your dad as a a child, you didn't feel safe. What what was it that felt unsafe? When you walk into a correctional institution, you feel the darkness. And that darkness um, not only permeates the walls, it permeates people. And I carried that darkness with me as a child. And it played out when I was in school and I would um, sit by myself or I might act out. It played out when I was with my family and I would be quiet in a corner or I might act out at home. And so, you know, we want children and families to have the connection with their incarcerated loved ones that I had without the overexposure to trauma that oftentimes comes with it. You all will be speaking on a panel, as I mentioned, next Tuesday. That's May 24th. That's when you'll launch this initiative. 
tell us quickly where folks can register if they're interested in learning more, Nika? People can visit our website at chicagobeyond.org and uh, download the uh, link for Do I Have the Right to Feel Safe? A Vision for Holistic Safety and Corrections, as well as register for our event, which will be Tuesday, um, May 24th at 4 p.m. Central Time. That was Nika Jones-Tapia, Managing Director of Justice Initiatives at Chicago Beyond and former warden at Cook County Jail. Nika, thank you so much. Thank you. For more conversations about the things that impact you, from the local economy, politics, or what's happening in your area, tap into this podcast. We drop a new episode every weekday afternoon. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks so much for spending time with us, and we'll catch you right back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.